Before we begin this week's show, I have some super maha and amazing news to share with you all. Our little podcast here, the Faith and More podcast, turns two years old September 5th. So we're going to celebrate it in this episode today. Prepare for the terrible, terrible, terrific, terrific twos of the show. Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. This is a trans-denominational podcast. Everyone is welcome and safe here, no matter what your faith is or isn't. Hello, my name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained trans-denominational minister, director of Oblates Perpetual Light, a shamanic light worker specializing in intuitive quantum and angelic healing, a studying Kabbalist and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Bless you and enjoy the show. So before we begin, let us roll the disclaimers. The views and opinions expressed by the host, moi, are solely, which I mean that literally, mine. Any and all content provided is my opinion and is not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. I always recommend that you, the listener, further investigate, contemplate, and meditate on everything that is shared. ISEs, individual soul experiences, will vary. Listening discretion is advised. This program is being monitored by Spirit for quality purposes. So I'm very, very, very excited. I know, when am I not excited for a show? But this show, I'm, I'm particularly, extremely excited. Um, it is one of my spiritual mentors, although I've n I never had the opportunity to meet him. I am so bathing and basking in his teachings. We're so blessed. There's so many recorded teachings, not only audio, but also video, uh, which I'll be getting into here as we get into his story. Um, but he is just, wow. And after you guys hear this show, you're going to be saying the same thing as I am, as he's just, wow. That's all. That's the only way you can describe him. It is none other than Rabbi Zalman Schechter Shalomi, and he always preferred to be called Reb Zalman. Um, so we'll be referring to him as Reb Zalman today. And I have a great uh, article uh, from an interview that was done with him uh, by Portrait, uh, Portraits in Faith. And it's from portraitsinfaith.org. Of course, I will have a link in the show description. Uh, because there's also a great uh, video of an excerpt from this interview that I'm going to be reading uh, with Reb Zalman. And without getting into too much information, um, he was a Holocaust survivor. Um, 
of course, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, um, but he was in charge of reform of the Jewish faith, which we'll talk about as we go through his interview, which is really amazing. And he never turned a blind eye or his back to any faith. He was a lover and supporter of all faiths, even though he was very, very Jewish. Uh, but he found and always stated that you could find you can find all kinds of neat, interesting uh, tools and tips and tricks through other faiths to help you with your faith. You don't have to leave your faith to go to another faith. Go to look at other faiths and take what you want to take from them and add it to your toolbox and put it into practice. It's amazing. And I'm a firm believer in that and have been a practitioner of that forever in this lifetime. So again, I highly uh, recommend it as well. And another quick cool tidbit of information about Rev Zalman is he, he didn't like to drive past a church, no matter what the church was. He always liked to stop if he had the time and go in for a service or to talk to the pastor or or whomever was um, running, or if it was a mosque or, or whatever. He always loved to go and just visit and just absorb and talk with uh, people in different churches of different faiths. And he always uh, believe, firmly believe and taught that, again, you can learn, not only learn so much from other faiths, but also by going to their services and being part of their service, you can also learn and grow and evolve so much. So this article is really interesting because most articles usually start off, well, always, this is the first time I've seen this, they always start off with a brief bio of the person that they're going to be interviewing. Well, this article does not have the bio till the end, which is really interesting. And I was going to reverse it, but I thought, no, it was done that way for a reason. So let's leave it that way, because it'd be interesting to go through the article, the interview, and you hear what Reb Zalman, uh, how he addresses things and how he speaks and, and his thoughts and views and then at the end, you'll get more of the bio. I know I kind of gave a little spoiler. I gave a little information, uh, but it's nowhere near um, what is his bio or everything that he was able to accomplish in his lifetime. Uh, so we'll begin the article and the interview. So the interviewer begins by asking um, Reb Zolman for earliest memories of his faith. And he replies by saying, as a child, I would walk by a little side chapel in a big church and the ladies would be lighting candles and standing like my mama did on Shabbos, which is the, their Sabbath. And Papa would take me in shul, which is the synagogue with the men. So I had this notion that women are Catholic and men are Jewish. Once I was under Papa's talus, which is his prayer shawl, when he had just finished leading a Rosh Hashanah, which is their new year, or Yom Kippur, which is Day of Atonement service. And I saw tears in his eyes. And I said, Papa, why are you crying? And he said, I just talked with God. And I asked him, does it hurt when you talk with God? And he replied, no. So why did you cry? And he replied, it's because I remember such a long time since I really talked with him. 
So this was one of many incidents that stood out to him um, as far as earliest memories of his faith. Next, he was asked about his spiritual awakening. And he replies, so one Shabbos afternoon, which again is their Sabbath, I went with my friends out into the open and it hit me. I saw why God has to hide and why it is also. And I knew at that point, Jews don't get on their knees, but I got on my knees, you know, despite the fact that we say, but we bow and prostrate ourselves in worship and give thanks. And I prayed, please, God, don't let me ever forget this. What I saw right now, I was outdoors. It was a sort of picnic roundup, a park, and my friends were on the side and I had just gone a little bit on and it was almost as if an aura of awareness was starting to come down. And then I saw why it has to be the way it is. And I was willing and deeply satisfied to allow it to be that way. It made a matrix. There's always a question of the theophany and how you work out your out the theology. I like to say that theology is the afterthought of the believer. So the afterthoughts grew, you know? They grew incrementally. The more I learned about Hasidus, which is Hasidic thought, Kabbalah, mysticism, the inner world, the many higher worlds, and so on and so forth, then that gave it more structure. But the intuition is not what happens in the cortex, you know? What I understood was that I'm known and being seen and worthwhile to the creator. You are a child of the universe. You have a right to be here. So if you all didn't get that, what he was, he was out with his friends and, you know, he got a little bit ahead of them and they were out in a wooded area and he just got a lightning strike from God. You know, the creator struck him with an aha moment, with an awareness, with an awakening um, that changed him forever. And, you know, he realized that, you know, we all are part of, of the matrix that God creates and sustains, that each one of us um, is a child of the universe, a child of the creator, and that each and every one of us are worthwhile. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this lately, you know, with, you know regardless of what we think of others, which, which we really need to work on our judgment. We should never judge anyone because we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what their life is like. And who are we to judge? Remember, we only perceive 1% to 5% at any given moment of the 4 gigabytes of data presented to us every second. So who are we to judge? And, you know, it's all over the Bible and, and other faiths as well to not judge. And this was like a, a huge moment for him. So next he's asked about um, the Holocaust and escaping Austria. He says, my father was first deported to Poland after Kristallnacht, which is the night of the broken glass during the Holocaust. And he smuggled himself back to Vienna because he didn't want to go into Poland. He knew Poland was in destruction. So he and my brother and I 
and several members of the family went because he couldn't stay there having been deported. If they would have caught him, he would have been in trouble. So we went to Cologne and we paid a thousand marks a person to a smuggler to take us across. We were told where to go and we went and we walked past a German border guard to the place where we were supposed to meet the smuggler who never showed up. And the sun was about to set. Going back was not advisable. And we davened Mincha, which is their afternoon prayer service. The way I davened Mincha that time was very, very much, um, we have no one to lean on except our Father in heaven. And to our relief, after we were finished with the prayers, there came a smuggler, not our smuggler, but a smuggler who was about to take some, uh, it's a, t a brand of camera into Belgium to sell. And he wouldn't take us unless we gave him the last 10 marks we were permitted to take out. So we gave all the money that we had. He took us across. That was such a moment of faith. So next is regards to him being a spiritual peeping Tom. I like to say that I'm a spiritual peeping Tom. I like to see how people get it on with God. He says, what, we go out of the concentration camp in France on Vichy's side of it. It wasn't so bad there. And we were in Marcel, and that's where I met someone who was Schneerson, Reb Zalman Schneerson. And I heard him speak and then walked with him to the hotel and asked him to set us up in a little school of Torah learning. He sent us a guest for the holiday of the trees. He set us up in this yeshiva, which is the school, and sent us a guest that one had turned out to be Reb Menachem, Mendel Schneerson, the future Lubavitcher rabbi. Later meeting his father-in-law, Reb Yosef Yitzhak Schneerson, then the Lubavitcher Rebbe, stands out like, wow, you know, if God would put on a body and be around, it'd have been like him. Next, he's asked about difficulties in mental prayer. And he says, at that point, I was still very much inside of Judaism. I got to be a teacher at the Lubavitcher um, Hasidic sect school in New Haven. I was trying to go to the library and get something about educational psychology so I could be a better teacher. And I saw on the recent acquisition list was a book that was called Difficulties in Mental Prayer by Father Eugene Boylan of Melloray Abbey in Ireland. So I grabbed that book, you know. Who knows from difficulties in mental prayer? The rest of the Hasidism, or excuse me, Hasidim, which is the ultra-Orthodox Jews, don't know about it, maybe. The only ones I knew who cared about stuff like that were the Chabad, which are the Hasidic sect people. So I got into that. And the world, world Bible, and I found out about Ramakrishna. And so my horizons opened up much more. Papa Olive Hashalam, may he rest in peace, at one point told me, you know, if there is somebody, Rabindranath Tagore, an Indian poet, 
But Papa said, Oi, Azazu Zadik, which is, he's a righteous human being. So that there were righteous people outside was important. I'm sorry it's kind of jolty a little bit because, you know, yes, the guy's interviewing, but he's not letting him expand too much. It's just like little blurps. Uh, but, you know, from this we gather where he started to get his taste uh, for um, interfaith. And as he's showing here, his f own father, uh, who was huge uh, in, in Judaism and, and a great teacher just himself, was uh, you know also pointing out that, you know, it is important that there are many great teachers in many different faiths and that there's nothing wrong with studying these teachers or studying with these teachers. You know, hold on to your faith, but use what you're learning to uh, help you better understand others, other faiths, and to, you know, pick up some tools to help you with your own faith. And we've talked about this for seasons. So, you know, this is nothing new to our longtime listeners or shouldn't be anything new. Next, the interviewer asked him about how he met Howard Thurman. And he says, I started to go to Boston University. This is how I met Howard Thurman. I called him my Schwarze Rebbe, which is a black rabbi, you know. He was very important to me. He challenged me at one point. I didn't know whether I should take a class with labs and open myself to someone who is a missionary. You know, those goyim, which is, means non-Jews, you can't trust them, right? <laughs> they all want to convert you. So I came in and I see him and I ask, I want to take a class, but I don't know if my anchor chains are long enough. So he looks at his hand back and forth for five minutes. And finally, he says to me, don't you trust the Ruach HaKadosh, which is the Holy Spirit? He used those words. So that's how he got hooked on him. Now he, he got to meet the great Thomas Merton. And here is his uh, interaction, a, a brief statement on his interaction with how he met Robert, or excuse me, Thomas Merton. When I went to Cincinnati, hello, I lived near Cincinnati, for my doctorate, I'd go to Bardstown, cross to Kentucky, and then from there, get a cab, go to Gethsemane Abbey. And it was wonderful. I had in those days the picture of the last Pope Pius with his eagle nose and severe face. I figured this guy who wrote the seven-story mountain must be like that. I had written to him that I wanted to meet him. So we met at that desk where I was to meet him. He taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and I see somebody. He could be like a football coach. <laughs> he had a big grin and smile and he's, he'd take me up to his place that he calls Shangri-La. That was his hermitage. Later on, I met the Bergen brothers there. It was wonderful. Next, he's asked about Sufism. There were the Hasidim on the other side of the fence, stories that would come up like a Sufi philosopher who was named Junyad having a bunch of disciples who wanted to take the leadership after he'd gone, 20 of them. They want to know why he chose one more than the other. 
And he said, bring a bird, a living bird, and I'll show you. All 20 came with a living bird, and he said, now go to a place where no one can see you and kill the bird, and then come back. 19 of them came back with dead birds, and the 20th comes and says, I couldn't find a place where no one could see me. So you hear a story like this, it touches your heart. So that's the story that got him into studying Sufism. And he was actually an honored uh, uh, and well-respected person within the Sufi faith. And um, for those of you who don't know what Sufism is, it's a type of uh, uh, mystical Muslim faith. It's really, really beautiful and amazing. We'll, we'll do shows in the future on it. But interesting, as you see, you know, out of 20 students, 19 of the 20 killed their birds, except for the one who said that he couldn't go anywhere where no one could see him. And that means you can't go anywhere. The creator cannot see you. See, he understood what the teacher was saying. So Reb Zalman also studied the uh, Eastern Catholic Orthodox faith of the Desert Fathers. He says, these two guys always come to Father Pullman of the Desert Fathers, and they ask him for a verbum, a teaching. Azug avort, give us a teaching, you know. Tell me a word, a verbum, so that they could work on that. One day they came, and he said, I haven't got a verbum for you. So... They look disappointed and say, how come every day you give us a verbum today you don't? He said, look, they don't come from me. They come from God. It's a sign you didn't do anything with the one I gave you yesterday. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that touches me this way. That's exciting. <laughs> that is an awesome teaching. <laughs> give us something to chew on today. Like Give us a, a, a koan or cone, as we've talked about uh, with the Shunryo Suzuki Roshi uh, episode, season five, episode 19. Check that out if you haven't. And, and it's, it's beautiful that, yeah, that jumped the teacher's uh, butt, per se, about why he didn't give him a, another word of wisdom to chew on. And he's like, you didn't obviously do anything with the one I gave you yesterday because this comes from, from God. This comes from spirit. My apologies for the brief show interruption. Are you in need of healing? I am beyond blessed and elated to be able to offer healing sessions to you. I am able to offer healing sessions at an intuitive, quantum, and or angelic level. The mode of healing used depends on the healing you require. We begin with a discovery call. This call lasts approximately 30 minutes. It is absolutely free and is used for us to get to know each other and explore your healing needs. After this, if you wish to continue, we will have the initial consultation call. Here I will explain to you what modes of healing I will be using, what this entails, and what to expect. This session will last one hour. The minimum donation is $20. Next is the actual healing sessions. These sessions last for one hour each. The minimum donation is $50 per session or three sessions for $100. If money is an issue for you, which it is for just about all of us, please do not hesitate to book a discovery call. Again, reminder, that is absolutely free. We can discuss during that call the minimum donation or possibly bartering, which I'm always open to. To book a session, please contact me 
at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. Bless you, and I hope to work with you soon. So then the uh, interviewer asked him about understanding the Trinity, and he refers back to his uh, meeting with uh, Thomas Merton. He said, I asked Merton, how do you understand Trinity? He said, well, to me, it means when I say the creator, it is God the Father. When I speak of the Redeemer, it is God the Son. I speak of the Revealer, that's God the Holy Spirit. And oof, who can argue with that? Really, he reveals, he creates. He's, you know, I don't have tainus, which is Hebrew for complaints, or Yiddish, I should say, about that. I found a way of accommodating that. So through Thomas Merton, he helped Reb Zalman understand what the Holy Trinity was, and Reb Zalman, in turn, incorporated that into his faith and his practice. Next, it gets into psychedelics. He says, I read Aldous Huxley's The Door of Perception, which uh, just a little bit of information in case any of you are on Jeopardy and you're asked this question, that the um, psychedelic rock band of the 60s, The Doors, got their name from Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception. Okay, <laughs> so moving forward, um, The Doors of Perception, I wanted it. Everything that I had done and experienced in the Hasidas and davening, it looked to me that there was a corroboration in what Huxley had described. And everything I had read about Meister Eckhart and the people on our side, Jews, Alexander Luria, the Baal Shem Tov. In fact, when I later on reported that thing, I yoked it together with the description by Baal Shem Tov on his Aliyat Hanashama, which means when his soul ascended to heaven on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. So I was curious about that question. I met a wonderful person by the name of Gerald Hurd. Do you know that name? He's another one of those savants that I hold in very high esteem. He was also a friend of Aldous Huxley and his mentor. So I met him and I told him that I wanted to do psychedelics, but it was offered to me at a mental hospital in Kuapel, Saskatchewan, with Hoffer and Osman. I felt it was doing like a major surgery in a dunghill. I didn't want to pick up stuff from there. He said, you're right. I have a friend. He's at Harvard, and he told me about Timothy Leary. And if I could back up just a tick, uh, again, Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception. If you have not studied that book, that should be a staple in your library because it is so awakening and mind-blowing on so many levels in a good way. It will really, really open you up and open up your faith and Definitely open up your connection with God, the Creator, Adonai, Hashem, Allah. Again, whatever the Great Mother, the Universe, Hecate. You know, again, whatever you want to label that, which is so beyond labels.
So next he's asked about doubt and he refer he replies with this one uh, little paragraph. He says, faith gets barnacles of superstition. Doubt is what scrapes them off because it always makes sure that you don't go into beliefs, but you go to faith. Beliefs are a whole bunch of beliefs and you can make beliefs without number. Faithing. Faith is not something we have. Faith is a faithing. It's a verb. And unless we have faithing, it's not there. It's not something I can buy. So he's asked, why am I a Jew? There were three weeks in which I was having a very deep struggle. Am I a Jew because to God I'm committed because God wants me to be a Jew? Or am I a Jew and I don't give a damn what God wants? Because I'm a rabbi and I make my living that way. So there is all this outer stuff and the inner stuff. It's a great struggle. So he says, what's the point? After the Holocaust, you know, all the questions keep coming up about the theodicy. If God is good, how could this be? We've talked about this. We had a show on this, folks. Season 5, episode 17, if everything's from the Creator. Check that out if you already have not. So he's going on and saying, so these questions are always there. So whenever I get to the door of doubt, maybe everything is stupid and I've been there also. There are moments of no exit. All those things that the existentialists were talking about, where everything looks gray, stupid in the work of the an imbecile, the universe, and being there, that's a hell. That's not a hell in which you get punished like purgatory. The hell is, then what's the point, you know? Then what's my life for? And then suicide makes sense and all that kind of stuff. So if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't even know about it to talk. So I've been there. So those of you, if you didn't understand what he's saying, it's because he's been through doubts in his own faith, um, in his own religion, that he's been to extremes. And now he is better able to relate to others who are going through the dark night of the soul, um, as St. John of the Cross uh, wrote about. And, and these are just dark times where we just don't know who or what we are or what our faith is. And, you know, that's when the darkness really, really kicks in and starts to clobber us and, and whispers to us almost at a scream um, about, you know, well, what's the use? What, what good is anything? What good is life? You know, you don't know up from down or right from left. Um, so, you know, it's important that if you find yourself in those situations, get help. Contact your pastor. Contact um, your spiritual guide. Uh, your life coach, whomever. If you can't find anybody, contact me. I'd be more than happy to help anyone who's having a dark night of the soul, uh, who's going through this. And we all go through it. Depression, especially this day and age, is is huge. I mean, oy, how, how can you not be depressed with everything going on? Well, the past couple shows we've had should have helped us, you know, from midpoint season five up to now, should help us to put things in a different perspective, to see things and feel things differently than what is being presented to us. You know, that one to 5% of 
of our perception. And we start going more from spirits uh, than going from this human vehicle, this human frame. Next, he says, on the New York subway, you have the straps that you can hang on. What are these straps that you can hang on? I find that's very much an understanding that this too will pass. I used to have rings like that. I wonder uh, would give people. When I was in Israel the first time, I went to the Yemenite silversmith and asked him to engrave a ring for me with uh, the saying on there, this too shall pass, in the story of King Solomon, a ring that he could use for all occasions. When he is happy, this too shall pass. When he is sad, this too shall pass. That's on the ground of Buddhism. Everything changes. Rav Nachman has it very strong, you know. Nothing is steady. The world is a dreidel, which is a spinning top. What is above goes below. What is below goes above. So don't trust that moment either. Neither the moment of elation nor the moment of depression. The sacred routine in the life belt, because every once in a while you say one of those words in which the light shines in again. If I had all my theophanies all at once, I would be blown out, maybe out of existence, or I would be so enlightened that I couldn't do anything in the world, right? I would be incapacitated. So there is a forgetfulness that's all so necessary to have. Rob Nachman who is a founder of the Breslov Hasidic movement, put it so beautifully. Every insight that you have from your soul, you have to teach it to your body because the soul, it'll evaporate. It'll go away. But the body will remember. And when you need to, you can draw it upon, or excuse me, draw it up from the body again. It's a beautiful teaching. And again, he's talking about the relationship between the spirit, the soul, and the body, and the importance of the balance of the two, and also the importance of not getting stuck on your experiences. Now, I had a student once that would always just keep reverting to, you know, I was in the hospital, I was ill, I had an out-of-body experience. I floated out of my body. I was up in the corner of the room and I was looking at myself down, down on my body. And they just kept, they attached and clung to this so much that they couldn't and wouldn't move forward in their life or their spiritual practice or spiritual life. They were just so fixated on this one experience. Okay, great. You had an out of body experience. You, you know, was out of your body in the corner of your room watching your body. That's great. But what are you doing with that? You know, as, uh, you know, Father Mike Cantor always says, it's great that you went to seminary. It's great you ordained. It's great you have this. It's great you got that certificate. It's great you graduated from this. It's great you had an out-of-body experience, but what are you doing with it? That is key for each and every one of us. You know, you can't cling and attach to one thing. And as he says, it's best to just let go of those. Don't attach to those experiences. Yes, the experience is great. Note it. Move forward. 
Don't let your ego get wrapped up into it. Don't let the darkness keep you fixated on that because what happens is you freeze. You're stuck. You don't make any more progress. You become closed down. That You don't accept any new information because as I'm teaching this student or attempting to teach this student, it always just kept referring back to, I had an out-of-body experience. I had an out-of-body experience. It's like, that's, that's great. Well, let's all meditate. I had an out-of-body experience. Okay, okay, all right, you had an out-of-body experience, but what are we doing right now? You know, we're not, you're not that person. You're not out-of-body right now. You're here right now. Let's work on here and now. And for the life of them, bless them. They just couldn't understand that. And they ended up um, walking away. And, and not coming back because they just couldn't get past that attachment to that one experience. So again, spiritual experiences and breakthroughs are amazing. They're Maha and Cred amazing, which is about the best amazing you can get, right? Uh, but it's important that you don't turn it into a curse. Don't attach to it so much that and, and use it as a ruler or a guide or a comparison for every experience that you have after that. Because if you do, guess what? You're not going to have any more experiences. You accept it, applaud it, it's great, savor it, enjoy it, let it go, keep moving forward. Use it as fuel. You know, we don't keep the same tank of gas in our vehicle because it burns it up, right? And that's what fuel does, is it burns it up and we need more fuel. That's the same thing we should be doing with our spiritual lives, is is in, in our regular lives, is just keep adding the fuel that we need to keep going. If you let yourself burn up of, you know, just put one in, one tank of gas and you attach to that one tank of gas, how far are you going to get? And that's what people do spiritually is they have this great aha moment and they attach to that. And before you know what, they run out of gas. So next he talks about dark times a little bit. He says, look, this is my fourth marriage. So you can imagine each time you go through a divorce that you have such dark places. You never make such a choice easily. And when it happens, you go into that dark, lonely place. And it looks like if there is still a little bit of life there deep that says you must continue. This is not the end of it all. But you know what? Then it doesn't come so much from above as it comes from below. If you want to talk chakras, uh, which are the body's energy centers. It comes from the first chakra, not even from the second chakra. It comes from the first. Or people talk about um, taktunig, which is for below, you know. The shema, which is divine presence, is below, which also is the Holy Spirit, is below. It's not above. That's the whole point of the shema, earth, malachus, the holy kingdom, the shashena, is always below and underneath are the everlasting arms. Next, he gets into the feminine. He says, Reb Levi or Levi of Berdichev, which is a Hasidic, excuse me, Hasidic philosopher, was teaching that the letters mustn't touch each other because otherwise they would displace the white letters of the Torah. And until Mashiach, the Messiah, comes, we won't be able to read them. But when the Messiah comes, we'll be able to read the white letters of the Torah. And my sense is that is what surrounds the black is always the feminine. And this whole business of ordaining women 
I wrote that the important halakhic, which is the Jewish law, decisions cannot be made anymore by men alone. You have to have women in that because they bring another awareness to it. And it's very important also to teach, to bring rabbis, women rabbis, to the place where they don't have to emulate the male mind. And bravo to him for that. I, I completely agree with that. And I so wish and I so pray that someday the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church will do this as well, that they will begin to um, ordain women and allow women to become priests instead of always making them the subservient nuns or sisters. You know, that's just totally and utterly ridiculous. So next he talks a little bit about enlightenment. Once a student asked me about how come when you have a moment, you're zapped and you're enlightened, that it doesn't stay with you. So I said, when you get, this is him talking, not me, and I'm not going to use the F word, but he says, when you get laid, do you stay effed? That's the way it is, that life continues. If I wouldn't have the up, I wouldn't have the down, and we have no down, we wouldn't have the up. So again, it's attaching to that experience that you can't do that, that there's going to be ups and downs, ins and outs, and that, you know, even the most blissful moment, which I would say is a more eloquent way, nothing against <laughs> Reb Zalman, you know, even the most, you know, erotic, uh, blissful moment of your life cannot last forever. And, you know, you are to enjoy it at that moment, accept it and, and let it go and continue to move on with your life. You should not attach to it. And the same thing goes with enlightenment. And the Buddha and all of his descendants and all the teachers of Buddhism today teach the very same thing. Again, a lot of great teachers from all uh, religions teach this to not cling or attach to any given moment, to any given now, because that now will be come the past very quickly. <laughs> okay, next, uh, they talk about his greatest wish. He says, I don't go anymore for the old-fashioned notion of Messiah. I wrote a piece about uh, an enlightened person, you know, about that word Rishi. In Vedanta, which is Hindu philosophy, there are seven beings that hold their mind on the world. And I believe that the problems of the world can't be solved on the level which they occur. The karma that's coming down the road, if he would oppose it, we would have such a crash, it would be terrible. If you have seen people do curling, so you have the, the sweepers, so you need to have people who can sweep the karma so it won't crash against each other. Now, the Western religions and Islam, for instance, could use sweepers. But you can't sweep on this plane. So the place where the problems originate from is on a much higher vibrational level. Shamans claim that they go into there, but they, they're very ideocentric, and you can never know whether this is their personal thing or something else. I wanted to bring together a group of people, and I haven't got the energy anymore to push that because I'm not good at bird-dogging projects. But what I had hoped for is that we would get like traffic controllers, groups of seven to be in one place and they'd be telepathic contact and hold their mind on the troubled spot of the world. 
and try and recalibrate things on a subtle plane. This needs an ensemble of work on the shamanic level. And could you imagine if we were to have such a group and they could go and tweak, turn down the um, Allah Akbar, which is the translation is God, is great, and raise up the Rahiman, the Rahiman referring to the merciful God in Islam and Christianity, if they could turn down some of the church fathers and turn in their thing and turn up a little bit of whatsoever you have done unto the least of my brethren and Judaism, the same thing, more of the love your neighbor as yourself and less um, kill or be killed. All these things are important. I wrote to George Soros and I wrote to the Templeton about it and they didn't respond. They thought it was flaky, but I think that it would pay to put several billions of money into the training that's necessary in transversal sociology to get those minds to mesh and to find the volunteers who would be willing to be trained to be Rishi controllers of the planet. So that's my greatest wish. I have a sense that uh, that's during the mess messianic times. So that's pretty deep what he just was talking about. And there are people that are doing um, certain studies like this. There's been studies like this that have been going on for literally since the early 1900s, if not before, uh, in scientific circles, um, as far as remote viewing in, um, you know, people putting being in a controlled area and focusing on one thing and, and seeing if they can manipulate it or change it or read it or um, it's it's very, very interesting and very deep stuff. But, you know, one thing I can say is prayer. Prayer is a great way of, you know, bringing his wish to to fruition. You get a group of people together, say like us, who are praying for people each and every week. Um, and if we focus, we all collectively focus on sending healing energy and love and light to the people on our prayer list that we mention every week on the prayer updates and requests at the end of every show. We can actually help these people. We can actually change things. It is true. I mean, you can direct energy and energy is stronger than any, any uh, physical uh, thing whether it be this humanness or whatever. Uh, so again, you know, quite interesting. That was one of his wishes is to get a group of people together and get them trained and get them to focus on certain uh, areas of the world that are in most need and try to focus that energy and bring about a positive change. So again, um, not to ramble here, but I refer back to um, prayer which is a great way to do that and a great way we all can do that. Uh, you know, a lot of churches have prayer circles where, you know, you get together and you either meet. Uh, you know, a lot of churches used to, especially in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I'm not, I don't know about any more if they do or not. Uh, let me know if there is. Uh, physical prayer circles where you all get together and meet and you all talk about your intentions, your prayer intentions. And then everybody, everybody in the prayer circle prays for those intentions. And then you go to the next person. Uh, and they say what their prayer is and, and what their wish, and then everybody prays for that as well. I mean, there's, there's great things that come from that, definitely. 
Next, he talks about corporations. He says, the thing that is happening right now, it's not governments anymore. It's international corporations, global corporations, and they need to be able to have their time scale tweaked to seven generations in the way from the quarterly bottom line. This is very special work that needs to be done. And right now, there is hardly anybody who understands that this work is necessary. If you ask, what's my greatest wish is that this should happen, that people should become aware that there is a need. And he continues by saying, when people were teaching Judaism in the past, you had no choice. You were born a Jew. You were in the ghetto. If you didn't behave as expectations were, you were out. Today, every Jew is a Jew by choice. Everyone is a Jew by choice. There's, there needs to be a retooling of access for Jews by choice. Instead of saying, the law is such, and I don't want any loopholes because I expect people want to get out of the law. Today, we need loopholes to get into the law. I got a beautiful letter from a woman who's married to a non-Jew, and she's so, so full of heart and soul and everything. And places didn't accommodate her. And she gave me thanks for Jewish renewal that accommodated her in a way. Reb Terva Firestone, excuse me, Terza Firestone, was married to a minister before. And at the same time, she got her ordination from me. So, you know, there's a whole other way of talking about uh, to Jews by choice. And what he's talking about there is a big thing in, in traditional uh, Orthodox Judaism. Judaism is about, you know, everybody in the family must be a Jew or, you know, trying to convert them to be a Jew. It's less that today than ever. And, and that's great because, um, you know, the, the Jewish faith was almost a dying faith. And today it's, it's, I think it's like within the top 50 uh, faiths in the world. I think it's probably down to, I think, 15, if not lower than 15 on how many people in the world are of the Jewish faith. And that's a shame because it's a very rich faith. It's very, um, there's so many great things about it. But again, like any faith, no faith is perfect. So it's important um, that you have a balance. And again, like he's saying, you know, you can have a spouse or a partner or a friend or whomever that is non-whatever you are, that's something else. In fact, that's awesome because, um, you know, if you have two people of different faiths, you know, my wife Haven is not the same faith as I am, and my son Talon is not the same faith as I am. So, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, it's, it's beautiful. It's great because they are such amazing and great beings, and I learn from them, and they learn from me, and it, it is so much part of the glue that, and energy that keeps our family so strong and so loving and caring and nurturing each other. And he continues by saying, then there is a whole group of people that are what uh, Gene Houston likes to call psychosemitic souls. It's a nice pun, but they are. Like someone says, I'm a New Yorker, you know? that I'm Jewish, and there are so many people like that. And Halakha, which is the Jewish law, hasn't made good room for it. The synagogues haven't made good room, but these people are a sort of the allies of Judaism, the affiliates of Judaism. Uh, 
and the time of the temple, we would take their sacrifices and make room for them, and they would join in the choir in the temple and so on. We need to make the echelon legit so that people will know that to whatever extent they want to be affiliated, there's room for him. What he's saying here, folks, is the importance of not just the Jewish faith, but all faiths to be inclusive, which is what uh, this show is all about and what the Oblates of Perpetual Light are all about. And hey, that reminds me, this would be a good time to let you know about the Oblates of Perpetual Light. The Oblates of Perpetual Light is the first of its kind. We are the very first group of Oblates to fully utilize the internet to organize and communicate. This allows everyone and anyone to join from all over the world. The Oblates of Perpetual Light are inclusive, meaning everyone is welcome regardless of their beliefs, faith, identification, gender, sexual preference, etc. We are independent, meaning that we are not affiliated with any church other than being connected with the Faith and More Ministries, and we are trans-denominational. We are not affiliated with any one religion. We greatly respect the beliefs and freedoms of others. We are all children of the universe. Only four things are required of any obligated perpetual light. The first, study and contemplate some sacred texts of your faith at least once a day. It's up to you how much you study and contemplate. It can be as little as a sentence or as much as you wish. You choose when, where, and how long. Number two is prayer. Prayer is key in the heart of the Oblate's perpetual light. It is imperative that an Oblate pray sometime during the day or night. Again, this is up to you to choose when, where, and for how long. The Oblates will gather together online, typically Zoom, at least once a month. There is also a Facebook group where Oblates can meet and commune more often if they choose. There are Oblates who are very social and there are Oblates who are very private. All are respected. If you are more private and or ascetic, you will need to keep in contact with the director of Oblates, moi, privately. Number four love and respect all members regardless of their faith we are here as a group not just as individuals everyone's faith beliefs views etc will be respected bullying hate attacks and etc will not be tolerated if this all sounds kosher and great to you and you would like to become a member of the oblates perpetual light please contact me our director at oblates.pl at gmail.com. Again, that's oblates, O-B-L-A-T-E-S dot P-L at gmail.com. I hope to see you as an oblate very soon. So again, I'm completely with him on this, is, is that it's important to be transparent and inclusive. Allow people who genuinely want to become part of your faith or learn more about your religion and come to your church, allow them that opportunity. Most churches already have a checklist that they will stop you at the door, so to speak, and run through these questions with you. Are you gay? Are you married to uh, someone of the same sex? Are you this? Are you that? And if you answer those questions truthfully and you don't check their boxes they turn you away and that is a shame because how many people did jesus turn away none 
He accepted anyone that came to him with an open heart and an open mind that wanted to follow him. And everyone, every church, every faith should be exactly like that. You know, especially prejudice is is definitely not something that should be in a church or a religion or a faith. It should never be in that. Um, bias should never be in it. You know, yes, there are you know rules and stuff like that, but those rules should have baby bones. They should allow for certain exceptions for people who are generally wanting to learn and dedicate their lives spiritually and humanly to that said faith. And when you turn people away like that and you're cold to people like that, it creates a really, really bad energy, really bad vibe that the darkness just eats up. The darkness loves that kind of energy. You know, that the church or whomever that turned that person away is getting energy. That You know, the darkness gets energy from that. And the person that is literally heartbroken, that is taken aback, uh, that is lost, that feels that no one cares, no one wants them uh, spiritually or physically, then see, again, more negative, more that, you know, more of that darkness just eats that energy up and just loves it. There's no light in any of that at all. It's, it's just total, total darkness. So that was the uh, interview. Now, the person that uh, interviewed him, his name is Daniel, gives his take and kind of gives um, some bio information on Reb Zolman. He says, Reb Zolman Schechter Shalomi was a true great scholar and teacher of our generation. And I was so very lucky to spend two afternoons with him at his home in Boulder, Colorado, to understand the pivotal spiritual experiences of his life. He was born in 1924 in Poland, now Ukraine, and raised in Vienna until his family was interred in a detention camp in Vichy, France, during World War II. His family immigrated to the United States from France in 1941. Reb Zolman was ordained as a rabbi within the Lubavitcher Hasidic sect, and along with Shlomo Karlsbach, excuse me, Karlbach, was sent as an early emissary of Chabad to campuses. He was kicked out of the Chabad movement when he advocated for the use of LSD to promote spiritual experiences. This break from the rigidness of orthodoxy allowed him to experiment with Jewish and interfaith spirituality to create the Jewish renewal movement. And Reb Zalman did create that. It's still very um, active today, the Jewish renewal movement, and they're very inclusive. Great, great organization and group of people. Through Jewish renewal, Reb Zalman created a worldwide following and resurgence in Jewish, Jewish spirituality that I have personally benefited from and which will impact generations. His friendships with the Dalai Lama, Thomas Merton, and many other spiritual leaders of his time was a breakthrough for a Jewish leader. He was also initiated as a member of the Inyati Sufi Order by Per Viliat. My first introduction to Reb Zalman happened a few months before the interview. I went to meet him to share portraits and faith. I felt sheepish as I shared with him that this project was not my full-time job, but I was actually a marketing director for Procter & Gamble. He smiled and said, that's perfect. I said, really? Why? 
Reb Zolman's re response, P&G's first products were soap and candles, right? Purity and light. I felt instantly embraced and included. In the middle of our interview, Reb Zolman got an emergency call that a son in Israel had been hospitalized. He rushed back from the phone to tell me we had to stop. He needed to go pray. He went to a small office area, pulled the curtain, and I was escorted out by his assistant. At first, the small me, ego, was disturbed. I'd flown all the way there to interview him. And then, of course, I realized the sanctity of the moment and what I had been shown. We resumed the interview the next afternoon while he awaited news of his son. And he thanked me for the positive distraction which kept him from worrying. Thankfully, his son was released and was okay. But the lesson for me was large. I have struggled with where Judaism fits into my life now and that I have had so many experiences with many walks of faith. Reb Zalman helped me feel still welcome in my Judaism. He showed me all religions are flavors of a much bigger metaphysical reality that cannot be defined. When he described the great spiritual awakening that happened to him as a child while walking in a park, when the heavens opened up to him, he dropped to his knees and said, God, don't ever let me forget this moment. That story helps me understand my own sense of urgency to hit my knees twice a day to pray, even though this is considered prohibited in Judaism because of its link to idolatry. Excuse me. When I understand Reb Zalman was initiated as a Sufi, it helps me to understand the profound experiences I have had while praying in a mosque for Friday prayers in Dubai or chanting with the Hare Krishnas in Alhukia, Florida, and Reb Zalman's friendship with Thomas Merton, from whom he came to understand the Trinity as God the Creator, God the Redeemer, and God the Revealer, gives me permission to understand my deeply powerful but unexpected meeting of Christ in a dream. I really believe that this expanded holiness and sanctity of all ways to God was messages of Reb Zalman's life, that the world of God and spirit and holiness is ever expanding and much larger and much more inclusive than we take it to be. He helped us to see that our Judaism was not a particularistic as it appears that all of humanity is part of a holy society and that we can even participate in each other's rituals to understand and become closer to God. Reb Zalman gave me confidence that I was on a sacred path with portraits and faith. I honor his memory and I honor every nook and cranny he exposed for us to leverage to get closer to God and each other. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, honestly, folks, I cannot recommend Reb Zolman enough. And regardless of what your faith is, you will be literally just blown away by the love, the compassion, and the wisdom of this great being. Um, if you have, if you have a subscription to Audible, uh, there is an, an amazing uh, seminar that he gave called Gates of Prayer. Um, I beyond recommended. I'm currently going through it now and I have about two hours left of listening. 
But if you don't have Audible, no worries. There is actual video of the entire uh, Gates of Prayer lectures that he did from his home to students. Uh, and I will put a link in the show description for anyone who wants to check it out. It's absolutely free, and it is so amazing, so enlightening. Um, you know, I, I'm actually going through a little book right now um, from Reb Zalman called the Shema, or Shema, which is just, that's another Hebrew word, name for prayers. And, you know, it's this very small little prayer book uh, that takes you through a week of prayers. And, you know, a big thing, a big issue with a lot of uh, Jewish people or of the Jewish faith is that the prayers each day can go from anywhere from an hour to three hours to get through your morning prayers, not to mention your other days, you know, the prayers that you're supposed to do throughout the day as well. Um, but he did like a condensed version of that. And as you all know, I'm, I totally head over heels in love with prayer. And I love to learn other faiths, ways of praying and their techniques and their prayers. And, you, you know, that whole interfaith thing, you can't go wrong with it because it's so beautiful. You pick up so much information, so many tools and tips and tricks that can help you with yours. So, again, Gates of Prayer. Check it out if you have an Audible uh, subscription. It's absolutely free to download it, and it's like 11 hours of uh you know, him in his living room teaching people about prayer. It's it's amazing. It's so beautiful and so absolutely yummy. Um, and again, if you don't, no worries. I will have a you know link in the show description where you can check it out. And I'll also include, a, you know, as I said, a it's a very brief, like 11 and a half minute video of uh, Daniel interviewing Reb Zalman for uh, his Portraits in Faith show. And then I'll also include, uh, it's probably three hours and a little longer uh, of an interview that uh, Rev Zalman did uh, about his survival of the Holocaust um, and his, his life. And it's, it's very, very good. And again, absolutely free, folks. Absolutely free. So you can't ask for more than that other than time. Your time, you know, you don't have to sit down and watch all three hours together or listen to, you know, 18 hours of audio or watch 18 hours of video at once. Break it down, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, maybe once a week. Um, it's great. And honestly, folks, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. It will not be a waste of time. It will greatly help you on so, so many levels. And please check out Reb Zalman um, on Amazon or wherever you buy books. He has several books out that are just so, so amazing. And unfortunately, the, the great rabbi is, is no longer with us physically. Spiritually, absolutely, you can feel his energy when you pray. Um, again, he's another great person to ask for, for intercession, to help you with your prayer, to help you with your faith, regardless of what it is. Um, he can definitely help you with it. Um, he passed away on July 3rd of 2014. Um, just such an amazing being. And this article doesn't do him uh, justice at all. Uh, it's just a small, you know, scratch in the surface of the great depth of wisdom, compassion, and love that was Reb Zolman and still is. And hopefully it's, uh, you know, wet your whistle a little bit to study deeper on him. But again, folks, if you find um, you're having a dark night of the soul, if you're having issues, 
uh, with your faith in committing to your faith in you know just doing the bare minimum of your faith please please reach out to uh, your spiritual director your pastor um, your priest um, whomever your life coach and if you don't have anybody please reach out to me i'll be more than happy to do all i can to assist you i am a certified life coach i am a spiritual counselor um, so among other things <laughs> And I'm always here for you folks. And I will, I promise you, I will not uh, try to get you to leave your faith. In fact, I will do everything I can to help you strengthen your connection to your faith. This week's prayer requests and updates are as followed. Continued prayers, love and healing for Emily, Jonathan, and their family for the loss of their baby. Kayla, Terry, Denise, Nicholas, Taylor and Weston, Maudie, Stephanie, Sarah, Kia, Elaine, Bob had all of his tests this week, so hopefully we'll get some good news soon. Please keep him in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Um, Clyde, who had heart surgery just a few months ago, is going to have to go in for an outpatient surgery in a few weeks because he's continuing to have issues with the upper part of his heart. Please keep him in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Also, Lisa, uh, Lana, and Molly uh, are recovering from COVID, so please keep them in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Megan, Gwen, Octavia, Trish, Chad, and their family, Bishop Ashley and his family, Brother Abel, Mike S. Kelly and their family, Michael W. and his family, Tanya and her family, Cheryl, Elijah, and Andrew, Elijah's grandmother, Janet, Father Mike, Eddie, Eddie's mother, Becky, Emma, Jean, Kathy, and Tony. Kathy is going through so many more health issues. Um, if you all remember, uh, we've, we've had Kathy in our um, prayers for a long time. Uh, she has some kind of genetic thing with her that her body just has issues with all of her organs. So she's constantly got things going on with her knees and her hips and her, um, her gastrointestinal, her stomach, her heart. Um, and she's just being bombarded right now. So please keep her, her husband, Tony, and their family in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Michael T., Kyra, Courtney Moore. Uh, Jan is recovering from the first of the eye surgeries. Um, she is in some pain, but she is recovering. Please keep her in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. In a few weeks, she'll be going in for cataract surgery. And last but certainly not least, James and Linda and their family. And if you are in need of prayers, please... Please, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love to pray and our faith and more family love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. My contact information is at the end of the show coming up here in just a moment and at the end of every show. And since Rav Zalman was such a great and amazing interfaith being, I would like to close his show today and our birthday show for, for the podcast with a Native American shaman prayer. And the view of a shaman is that every action is a prayer, every statement, every moment of your existence on this earth, in this lifetime, is an opportunity to honor the divine energy, great spirit, God, or whatever you want to call that, which is beyond labels. So let us pray. I recognize and accept the divine connection between body and spirit, my wisdom and sight, my truth and integrity, and my love. I honor you, Grandfather Son, for the light and warmth you give us. 
I honor you, Grandmother Moon, for the wisdom and patience you give us. I honor you, Father Sky, for your warm embrace, and Mother Earth, for the way you nurture us. I honor the seven directions, north, east, southwest, up above, down below, and inside. The four totems, the eagle, the hound, the bear, and the bison, I honor you. I honor the seven people, the stone people, the standing people, the winged people, the finned people, the four-legged people, and the two-legged people, the many and no-legged people. I honor the thunder beings, bringing of rain, or bringers, excuse me, of rain, and the great star nation with their sky brothers and sisters. Great Spirit, I honor you in the name of my angels, my animals, my ancestors, and my great spirit guides. And I thank you for this path and the chance to grow love. I so hope and pray you've enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you're searching for and more here with us. Stop by anytime, all the time. You are family. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with as many people as possible. Subscribe, rate, and review. And if you really enjoyed the show, please consider making an offering. Offerings are a great way to help sustain and improve the show and the Faith and More ministry. Offerings can be made through Patreon at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Faith and More Podcast. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our Faith and More family love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. You can email me directly at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. I am also offering healing sessions now that involve angelic, intuitive, and quantum healing. This is done via phone or Zoom. Due to the scope, energy, and time involved in this type of healing, there is a minimum donation required. Please contact me for more information at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please don't forget about our YouTube channel. There's lots of great videos there, and it gives you more of an immersive experience. Just go to youtube.com slash at Faith and More Podcast. So until next time, have a most blessed week, and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you. <laughs>